Before we dismiss the kids, we do have a special uh, opportunity as a church family for me as a dad and a pastor. Uh, we arrived in Ojai in the summer of 99 uh, to do youth ministry over at the community church. And we served there for several years. And then we planted this church 13 years ago when we've been in this facility since 2017. And uh, many of you know, I have five kids. And, you know, if, if you know anything about the church and navigating parenting kids, especially when you're a pastor, especially a lead pastor, can be a bit of a, uh, a daunting task that requires God's grace and wisdom. And so many of you have known uh, my kids. They've come through the ranks here and served in various capacities. And uh, today we get to celebrate, uh, as a church family, the Lord's seasons. You talked about seasons. And uh, as this is Ziba's, our granddaughter's first day at church, today we're going to send off our youngest daughter. It's her last Sunday. And uh, Eileen, you've seen her up here. Uh, she is our youngest daughter, and uh, this week we move her into Westmont. And she'll be living there. And uh, if you don't know what she's done around here, uh, primarily she's done a phenomenal job in the bridge. Uh, she's our communications director, so the slides, the bulletins, following me as I jump around with verses every Sunday, uh, that takes a lot. And uh, we have a routine. Um, man, it's going to be strange for me because for years and years, we leave our house at 6.30 a.m. on the dot, and she comes with me. And by 7 o'clock, I give her all the slides and everything. And so it's by 7 a.m., she's already here working and ready to serve and bless all of you with what happens on the screens. And uh, she's instrumental with Jordan and the bridge with all the tech and how it goes out. If you're watching this at home and the slides and they call it the lower thirds and how it's all positioned and everything, Eileen's done a phenomenal job with our tech on the live stream. And so we're going to miss her. I'm going to miss her. We're working through this uh, this week. We go empty nest. So we're working through that a little bit. Uh, but as a church family, we wanted to celebrate her. And uh, I just encourage you, you know, um, as parents, especially with raising kids in the church, you know, we always have sought the Lord first and foremost for their relationship with the Lord. And then to give them space to find where they would serve as members of the church. And they've served in various capacities. Vinny led worship here for a while. And uh, the bridge and the tech crew was Eileen's niche. And um, she's been blessed by many of you. Uh, she was born here. All the others came with us from San Diego. So she's, she's local. Um, but we want to celebrate Eileen. And so Ty, why don't you come on up? And the ladies are going to come up. We're going to pray for her and send her off. Oh, good morning. I hope Eileen's on her way up. Um, I was going to mention a lot of things about Eileen, but her dad did all of it. So what she does. But one thing he did forget to what she does. She's given so much moral support and guiding and guidance to the youth because she's one of our youth leaders and she played such an important role in young ladies' lives. So it's, it's been a blessing with, with Hailey. Um Okay, I'll do this. I don't want to look at her um, <laughs> uh, um, because I'll start crying. But, I mean, she's like a daughter to me. It's, she calls me Uncle Tyler and I love her dearly. It's going to be hard to see her go, but she's just going to be in Westmont. And I already told her she's on call. So... <laughs> So we got her a cake and some flowers in her card. And the colors of the cake, what are those colors of, Eileen? It's a quiz. Westmont. Westmont. So that, and that's where she's going, which is great. So we, we've been super blessed by you and just a great opportunity. And she's not like she's going off to Africa like her older sister. And she's just going to be right down the, the road. But we do appreciate you. We've been blessed to be, have you part of this church family. And you're still part of this church family forever. So thank you very much. And Mark, you going to pray for us? 
Lord, we thank you for Eile. And uh, Lord, we, we tell you that we love this woman. Um, we know that you love her. We know that you are uh, really leading her very personally, very deliberately, very um, just intentionally uh, to Westmont and to study what she's going to be studying and in the years to come, the journey and the path that you want her to follow, Lord. Um, we love her heart for you. We love her service. We love her as a friend, as a sister, as a woman. Um, we put her in your hands. Um, we ask you to uh, just be very present with her in Westmont as she makes new friends and meets new people and studies new things and just really embarks on a new journey. Lord, would you lead, would you bring light and joy and peace and, and depth and really challenge her, Lord, in her spirit, in her life, in every aspect. So uh, the, just to make her uh, more and more the woman that you want her to be uh, for your kingdom and for your work. So we put her in your hands and we uh, thank you for your uh, love for her and your leading her in the future. Amen. And one, la one last thing I want to send off. We, we got to get a good laugh because she's come a long, long way. And when we first met her, um, Isaac, can you want to put up that photo? <laughs> So we're very proud of her. Actually, this I was a police officer in Santa Barbara for a million years, and she came and visited and got a tour. So I always held this picture over her head. But this is the woman she became from there. So. <laughs> All right. And now we've got a couple announcements. You may have guessed, too, that you know, we've got youth stuff, and we've got someone leaving us, so we've got some space. For some of you, um, you know, and we kind of joke that, you know, Ziva's first day, we're going to, although it's her first day next week, we're going to put her back there on the keyboard. So some of you are like, I don't know if I can like do technology and stuff, but, you know, she can do it. Y'all can do it. Uh, but joking aside, uh, you know, I've mentioned it before, you know, whether it's for the bridge or youth uh, when it comes to volunteering. And I know that's like a, almost a trigger word at church because it's like, oh, don't look. Uh, but and I know also and I'll, you know, I want to be honest, like I've done somewhat of a disservice to you guys because often when I come up here and share youth stuff, it's usually about the fun stuff we do. And it's about like the cool events we do, the crazy all nighters that we do. And it's like, well, they just have a lot of fun. Uh, but I think about it similarly to what we do here on a Sunday. And we come here, we enjoy one another, and although our version of fun is a bit different, uh, it's very similar. And so on, you know, whether it's our Bible studies with high schoolers or just youth group uh, with 6th to 12th graders, it's very similar. We have a lot of fun. There's a lot of relationship building, but there's also a lot going on with just their relationship with Jesus. And so just like here, you know, there we are, you know, trying to be really adamant about sharing the word and sharing who Jesus is. And so that, I think, takes most importance, although you don't really see it through the, the fun videos and photos. And so I just want to encourage you, you know, to think back to when you were their age. And I know life's a bit different uh, now, and I would say sometimes it could be even more challenging. But, you know, the kids are all going through different things, lots of changes, and they need people like us who know a little bit more, who are a little farther ahead or a lot farther ahead uh, they need that wisdom. They need those relationships uh, as they're just navigating life. 
And so I would just encourage you, uh, maybe even challenge you, you know, and just to pray about ways that you could serve uh, the church body by serving and helping with youth. And it may not be, you know, just coming out on a, a, a Wednesday to serve and, uh, you know, it could be offering up your home and saying, hey, I have a pool. Kids love pool parties. You know, I would love to host them. Or if we're going out on a, a really fun trip, if you want to drive. Uh, but in, in any way, uh, I would just encourage you to think about that. Finding ways of just serving and loving the students. Not just because Eileen's leaving, and those are big shoes to fill. Uh, but because, you know, it's, it's a part of our just identity as, as a church, as a family. To really just help and serve one another. So I, I just put that out to you guys if you are interested at all, I'd love to chat with you about it. Uh, so right now, it is now only guys as volunteers for the youth ministry. So ladies, if you feel at all called or interested, uh, we could use some ladies. And I'm certain that the youth students would, might, would not mind that as well. So again, I just encourage you with that. Uh, let me know if there's anything you have questions about. We'd love to you know, talk with you and see about, you know, serving uh, in Crossroads Youth Ministry. And so with that, uh, we are going to be starting up our regular youth group September 6th, I believe. I think it's Wednesday, September 6th. Yeah. Uh, the time's going to be a little bit different. I'll get that back to you guys soon. But we're going to be starting up uh, youth ministry real soon. Thank you. I uh, really encourage Jordan to kind of share that side of youth ministry Youth ministry is what I did for bunches of years. And uh, I know many of you, you know, are, are, are up to date on current events and things that are going on in the schools and the challenges in the schools around the country. Sometimes in Ojai, we kind of think we live in a bubble. But I will share this with you from what I have learned and what I have heard um, about what is going on in the schools, particularly in Nordoff. Uh, it's here. The issues that the kids are facing around the country is in the Ohio Valley. And what Jordan does, they are frontline. Youth ministry today is a lot, really a lot different. We, when I, I started in nine, early, the mid-90s into the early 2000s, and youth ministry was challenging them with what the issues the students were facing. These guys right here, the youth pastors and the youth ministers and the volunteers, they're frontline tip of the spear right now for this generation. And sure, they like to have a lot of fun, and I appreciate that. But his heart for Jesus and, and really what we talked about last Sunday, what do, what do the students need ultimately? Jesus. And where are they going to hear it except for in the church and through the church? And so I really do just want to reinforce and reiterate uh, the significance of youth ministry. Again, sometimes, unfortunately, in the church, we look at it as glorified daycare. Oh, yeah, you know, Wednesday night, that's just like kingdom kids for older kids, right? They just entertain them and play games and everyone laughs and then they go home. Not today. Not today. It's some of the stories I've heard about Nordoff, even last school year, would blow your mind. Would actually stun some of you. That that's here. That's what the kids are dealing with every day. During, yeah. Yeah. It's not just other school districts around the country dealing with these issues. It's right here. And so at the very least, I would ask you, pray for them. Amen. Pray for the youth ministry here and, and all the youth leaders in the valley. He's connected with the Baptist and Redemption. They have great relationships with the other youth workers, so they're connected. Uh, but if you really want to make a difference, even in the world of prayer, start praying for what's going on in the schools. Okay, And, and maybe through that, God will speak to your heart. 
And again, you don't have to have all this vast Bible knowledge. What we really ask the core is that you love Jesus, and you're willing to share that love of Jesus with teenagers. Amen? There's a simplicity to it. Because sometimes you'd be shocked how, how much of a difference it makes if someone just listens. Not try to fix them. Not try to lecture. Not throw a verse. Just listen. Right? And just build a relationship. So, so Jordan, I want to thank you and affirm you and your crew for all you do in youth ministry. But seriously, pray about it. At the very least, pray for the teenagers in this valley. Because I guarantee you, it is here. And, and there is a huge need in the Ojai Valley for the kids to know Jesus. Okay? Um, as we move into fall, I just want to kind of give you a heads up on what's coming. September 6th. We have a family day fall kickoff coming up. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a shorter service out on the patio on the lawn out there. We're going to bring out all the, you know, Lord willing, it's a nice hot day. We're going to bring out all the water stuff, the dunk tank, the slip and slides. And just an opportunity for us as a church family to kind of regroup and regather after summer and all the traveling. So I encourage you to come on out. We'll have extra food and everything. You can bring your own lunch, but we'll have kind of drinks and all that kind of stuff. But September 6th, it'll be a family fall kickoff. It's, it's actually the 6th. It's actually the 6th. Um, and so, oh, I'm sorry, the 10th. I'm sorry, it's the 10th. You're right. It's the 10th. Eileen, what's going on? No, just kidding. It's the 10th. I'll trust you. It's the 10th. Walk of Compassion is uh, coming up. If you don't know what the Walk of Compassion is, uh, it's an opportunity here locally. Life Choices Pregnancy Center. It's kind of their fundraiser. Uh, it's an opportunity, again, make a difference in your community. They have an incredible ministry to uh, young ladies, families in the valley that really go into it and need some tangible help, even prayer, even just relationships. So they do a walk of compassion once a year. That's coming up Saturday, September 30th. Uh, You're interested in that. Um, Really encourage you to get involved. And then finally, uh, Mark, Mexico. So in a... A little bit more than two months, there will be a group of people going down to Ensenada, Mexico to build two houses. Um, We had a wonderful trip in June down to Tijuana. Um, We've got a a good number of people signed up already. I just want to kind of put out two needs or two kind of deadlines kind of coming up. One is signing up. Uh, The trip's only two months away, and I need to kind of finalize with numbers with YWAM and stuff. So if you're considering going, thinking about going, signing up in the next couple of weeks would be very helpful. So I just really want to kind of put a little bit of pressure on you to kind of, you know, if the Lord's prompting you, just... Take a step of faith and put your name on that list and let's go. Um, the second thing is, you know, like every time, we have a, a pretty aggressive uh, financial goal to meet. It's about $29,000 to build those two houses with everything that we provide for the families, which we provide everything, every extra that's possible. We just go down and want to do everything we can for these families. Um, we've got a decent start on the financial need, but again, uh, the Lord has always provided. I, I don't even worry about this, but the need needs to be put out to the body. So um, in the next couple of months, our goal is to raise $29,000 to go build those two houses. Um, and I just want to uh, ask everybody really to be praying. Uh, you know, Hillary is going to kind of give us a little bit of rain starting a bit, little bit later today, but it went right over Ensenada and right over Tijuana uh, just over the past 12 hours or so. Um, I haven't had an opportunity to contact anyone from YWAM down there. I 
will do that and be sharing information with people who've been down there before, but really praying for YWAM, for our, our partners down in both of those places, but particularly the families. Uh, there are so many poor families, many of you have been down and seen where these families live prior to getting a home that we've built and the people who have the homes that we've built, frankly, Lord willing, will be safe and dry and that kind of stuff in the midst of a, you know, a tropical storm or hurricane going over them. But there are thousands of families down there that are living in mud right now. And, uh, you know, just being in prayer for the people who are being impacted is something that we can all do just to beseech the Lord for his mercy in Mexico. This past Wednesday, we had a monthly meeting with what we call the Ojai Valley Ministerial Association. You call it, call it OVMA. And uh, there's about a group of six or seven of us, the pastors, we get together. And uh, we have wonderful relationships. Many of you know that we coordinate with the Good Friday service at Libby. And, and so uh, we met this past Wednesday. And uh, one of the questions that came up, they were asking, so uh, what's been going on? You know, how, how, are, you, how are you guys doing? And so we go around and we kind of share our lives and share what's going on in the various churches. And I shared with them, you know, uh, things are going really well for us. And, and, you know, we're working through the summer and all the traveling. And, you know, again, it's kind of common knowledge in, in the summer with churches. You know, everyone travels and then the giving goes a little bit down. There's a dip and then, you know, ministries can scramble for volunteers. It's all fine. It's all part of it. Uh, but I really shared with them that, that I, re- I really felt like the well's in a good place, you know. Uh, us, like all the other churches in the valley and around the country, you know, kind of worked through the whole pandemic and the shutdown aspect, and everyone remembered that, all the guys remembered that, and actually celebrated what God did through um, the time when the churches couldn't meet. And, and I said, you know, now that that's kind of much farther in the rearview mirror, we're kind of forward-looking at the well, and we're seeking the Lord for, for what he would have. And as, as we were singing, I really wanted to just affirm you, and I wanted to say thank you to all of you that serve faithfully here at the well. Um, man, so many of you, many of you arrive here at 8 a.m. Uh, for the donuts. How many, how many celebrate the donut in the coffee ministry, right? right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's an 8 o'clock, that's an 8 o'clock arrival, anyone who's interested in that. Uh, Kathy, you do a phenomenal job with women's ministry, and uh, they are always in need and, and seeking the Lord for help there. Uh, Kingdom Kids, Kim and her team do an incredible job in Kingdom Kids. And again, if you know anything about churchdom, staffing the nursery in Kingdom Kids is always in need. Uh, we have worship team, we have the bridge. And so I just want to affirm and say thank you to all of you who serve faithfully, have served faithfully. And I really want to encourage us as a church as we move forward into the fall and into 2024, uh, honestly, seek the Lord. When we, call, when we use the word church family around here, well, that's not cliche, okay? We are, it is the big we. And uh, a whole lot goes into this happening right now, a whole lot. Not just turning on the lights on a Sunday morning at 6.30, but all through the week, all through the months and years. And it is, it is the big we. And God calls us all to participate in his church in whatever capacity you can, whatever gifting he's given you with whatever resources. Even the, uh, the big events like the family kickoff, which is September 10th. Uh, that was my bad on the notes, so Eileen, you had it right. Um, but even that, why do we do a, a big water day family? It's because it's relationships. It's relationships. So we'll, we'll 
cut short of service and we'll go out there and we'll hang out and we'll laugh and we'll get to know one another because we're really built on relationships here. That's what the, the church is. It's a church family. And out of relationships, we serve together. And in our serving together, we get to know one another. And out of those relationships, we celebrate the very highs of life. And then we also walk through the very deepest valleys together. But it's all relationships. So sometimes, you know, I just I wanted to just take time because as, as in that worship time, I was just blessed by, by the worship and everything and the heart of it. Uh, sometimes, again, in the church, if we're not careful, we, we, we compartmentalize things into like, well, now we're in worship and now we're serving. And now, but truth is, it's just always relationship. Even serving is an opportunity to love one another. Amen. Even serving. I, I, what I really love here on a Sunday morning is that actually church starts about 8 a.m. when the crew arrives. And for two hours before we even start this service, you know what I really get blessed with every Sunday is hearing laughter and seeing people hug and lifting, listening to people catch up on their week. And there's two hours of church before church. And that happens in the context of serving together. And so I just want to share that with you. Just kind of plant that seed as we move forward. Because uh, I really feel like this is a new season for us into 2023, into 2024. Uh, many of you are new and welcome. Man, I haven't even met. I'm looking out there, and I haven't even met some of you. And, and it's just awesome to see what the Lord is doing uh, but if you hear like church family, church family, church family, we really mean that here. We, it's, it's not cliche and it's not just a, 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 something we say to rope you in. No, we actually care and would love to serve with you uh, in whatever capacity, okay? Uh, this morning, we're going to continue through uh, Mark chapter uh, 2, okay? If you're visiting or you're new, we've been working through the gospel of Mark. And uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. And then I was thinking about that passage I thought of my friend, a really good friend, who served in youth ministry with me at the community church in the early 2000s. Uh, great guy. Go fishing together, one of my best friends. And we would serve together, and one day I got this idea, a great youth ministry opportunity. I, I found out about this uh, ministry down at Skid Row, like the Skid Row in downtown L.A. And they bring high school students down. And you spend a weekend there, and it's immersion. You live, you sleep uh, on the floor in a converted house, and there's all kinds of activities. Where one activity we did was we went out. I forget one of the admin buildings. We went out at night, and they had us all spread out. And they said, "Okay, lay down on the parking lot. This is what it's like to lay down on the parking lot out here." And you know, then another activity would um, go find a, a homeless person and give you money. Go take them to lunch. Don't give them money for lunch. No, take them somewhere and sit down and get to know their story, right? So I got all excited about this ministry, and I'm like, hey, come with me. This is going to be so good. Come on. This is going to be awesome. And he's like, oh, I don't know, man. I'm like, come on. It's going to be good. Come on. It's a great. Oh, I don't know, man. And I could tell, okay, Hey, let me just preface this. He loved the Lord dearly, served, just... But this particular thing in his life just was not his thing, was not connecting. He's like, ah, I don't know, man. I'm going to go down there. And, and, and he was really struggling with it, and I was just trying to be sensitive and, and trying to you know, poke and prod a little bit. But, you know, we all have stories. And, and he has a story, a backstory to this. And, and again... Uh, I, was, I was just trying to find right how, how, how far I could push him. I was like, come on, it'll be good. He goes, 
No, it's just, I don't know, man. That's just way out there. And, and I said, okay, then just do it for me. Just come because I need another chaperone in this environment to help watch the kids while they're out and about. He goes, okay, I'll do it for you. So we go, and he comes, and there's times, again, where you, you break up into groups, and, you know, he had some students, and they yeah, actually, if you've ever been to Skid Row in that area, you know, they send you on a scavenger hunt, so you get to know the neighborhood, and they're off running around, and then he did the, with some kids, found a homeless person, took them to lunch, got to know their story, and I didn't really interact with him much. You know, we go to soup kitchens, and you serve with the families, and the kids come in, and you serve lunch, and great opportunities. You were, like, immersed in Skid Row, early 2000s. And so we're driving back, and I'm like, well, how was that? And he goes, dude, God changed my heart. God changed my heart. And he had such a different heart of compassion and sensitivity and love and grace for those people that lived there. And, and it was a radical transformation in 48 hours. 48 hours from like, Ugh, I don't know about that. That's way out of my comfort zone, you know, some things. I got my own, uh, to like, oh, my gosh, God just broke me and changed my heart. And he was just a different man. He was a different brother in Christ because he was willing to step out of his comfort zone and do what was uncomfortable in the name of Jesus, right? Even if it was initially just to help me and help chaperone, you know, God touched his heart. And I, and I thought of that story in light of Jesus in Mark chapter 2. He kind of goes and he ministers some people, and it kind of rankles people. And they're like, what's going on with that, right? He's with them, right? In Mark chapter 2, Jesus is still in Capernaum, and this is what it says starting in verse 13. It says, he, this is Jesus, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes, the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, right? So he's in Capernaum, he's walking around, and he sees a guy, Levi, who became Matthew, right? In Luke 5, it says this, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector. So Levi wasn't just sitting at the tax booth. He was actually a tax collector sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Matthew 9, 9 says, as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew. Okay, so Levi and Matthew are the same, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So Jesus is walking through. He sees Levi, who's a tax collector. And if you're not familiar with, with this culture, tax collectors were hated by their fellow Jews. Absolutely despised. Hated. Because in that culture, the Romans were in charge. And Romans demanded taxes. And so what they would say is they would, they would hire a tax collector and then say, hey, Levi, this amount is what you pay Rome. This is what we want from you, Levi. 
Anything above that is yours. Okay? So these tax collectors collected surcharges, bribes, extortion. Tax collectors became extremely wealthy at the expense of their fellow Jews. They were regarded as outcasts, right? And so Jesus is walking by, sees a tax collector, hated, despised, outcast, extortioner, right? Abusing his own people for his own gain and calls him of all people. Imagine what the crowd would have said and how they would have reacted. Imagine. Now, I don't know if we really get that, right? And so as I was studying this, I shared in the, in the Sunday morning, our leadership meeting, very powerful illustration that kind of, I think, connects with us more emotionally is in World War II in Europe, you know that there were some people who collaborated with the Nazis. And because of their collaboration, their fellow citizens were sent to extermination camps, were killed outright, right? This is very similar to a collaborator being called by Jesus in World War II. Can you imagine if you were in Warsaw or Holland or wherever, and you're out there, and Jesus is walking by, and he says, hey, you, I know you're a collaborator with the Nazis, Come follow me. How would you have responded? Would you have been thrilled with Jesus at that point? Would your idea of Jesus and Christianity been like, boop? What? And then it even gets more crazy because Levi, he follows Jesus. He leaves everything, the Bible says, and he gets so excited. He's like, I'm going to throw a party. I'm going to throw a party, and I'm going to invite my friends to meet Jesus and his boys. So it says that Levi and his boys, and maybe women show up, to a Jesus and his disciples at his house. Now, who do you think were Levi's friends? Fellow outcasts and tax collectors and his affairs, sinners and... That group. That group. So I, I, so imagine what that was like. Jesus and his disciples, right? Maybe they got there early, right? And suddenly, Levi's boys start showing up. How many would love to be on that fly on wall? This is going to be so good. How are these two groups about to get along? Right? Because I'm guessing Levi and his boys, and they have no clue. They're just invited to a big party. So they're going to be acting and talking like they normally do. Right? And Jesus and his disciples, right? Mark, me you can point this out. I wonder how Jesus' disciples felt when that group started to arrive. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Right? Right? And, and 
it's interesting because the Pharisees, the religious leaders, somehow they're around, right? So they hear about this. They show up, and they just kind of say it, right? They're like, hey, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? What's up with that? What's up with that, right? Because in this culture, sharing a meal was a big deal. When I invite you over to my house and I share a meal, it means we're connected as friends. There's a general level of of fellowship and connection now. So that's not lost on the religious leaders. Jesus and his disciples are sharing a meal with tax collectors and sinners. That had to be uncomfortable for some. How about you? How would you have reacted to being in mixed company? Right? What would you have done? And it's very interesting because I was thinking about that. And when Jesus called Levi, or the collaborator, it made me think, are there some people in my life, maybe some people in your life, that you've kind of written off as too sinful to know Jesus? Because that was a check, wasn't it? And it's kind of a check for us. Maybe there's some people in your life that you think are just too evil and wicked that Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with them. But I want to tell you, if you're here and if you're at home watching, there's always hope to know Jesus. And Jesus' invitation to follow him goes out to everybody, even tax collectors, collaborators. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's a great message of hope. That's what the the world outside these walls need. That's what they need. They need a message of hope from Jesus and the good news of the gospel that even though you're a tax collector, even though you're getting rich off the backs of your own people, you can still be a follower of Jesus. The invitation is still there, right? And then I was thinking about, man, they got really bent the Pharisees got really bent about being Jesus being in mixed company. And, and it's a challenge to us as a church, and we're going to look at this as we move forward, this, this idea of being separate. Because the word Pharisees actually means separated ones. And so these Pharisees, these religious leaders, got so caught up in externals, in legalism, in rule following, right? And very self-righteous that they literally separated themselves from what they considered sinful common folk. And there's an issue here because I wonder if sometimes the church, we don't slide into separateness. Even with the best of intentions, I wonder if we separate ourselves from the very people that need Jesus. And the very people that need Jesus. I like this quote from the website Got Questions. It says, sitting at Matthew's feast, Jesus broke societal taboos and condemned the Pharisees' legalistic system of attaining righteousness. The fact that Jesus ate with sinners shows that he looked beyond culture to people's hearts. Whereas the Pharisees disregarded people because of their past behavior, Jesus saw their spiritual need. Jesus came to save sinners. Tradition, cultural bans, and the frowns of a few do not matter 
when a soul's eternal destiny is on the line. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That is an an amen moment, but in today's culture, that is a tough, tough place, and we're going to look at that and why, right? Mark 2.17, he says, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, Right? In that first part when he talks about those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus, the great physician, wasn't waiting for them to come. He went out and he met them at Matthew's house, at Levi's house. He was willing to go where the sick are. Now, I'm glad and I celebrate that you invite people to church and please continue. Okay? But the church cannot wait for the lost to walk through the doors. Because many of them never will. They're going to come to Jesus because of you out there. Because of your heart for them. You're willing to spend time with them. You're willing to discuss life with them and share life with them and pray with them and share Jesus with them. Jesus, as the great physician, went to where the sick needed it. And I, I was reminded of this. You know, many of you know we went to Kenya, and my son in law is a surgeon at a missionary hospital in a very small town up there. And it's amazing because I thought of him here. He had done a, a surgery on a teenager's forearm right here uh, one day. And, and the following day, uh, they were going to try to arrange to, to meet up with this patient at another clinic to do a follow-up. So the next morning, we went to the other clinic, and this guy couldn't make it. I mean, you know, most of the time, people are walking great distances or they're taking some sort of public transportation. But he wasn't there. And I'm like, oh, that's a bummer. This was in the morning. We're driving back to where my daughter and son-in-law live. It's about a two-hour drive from Main City. So we're driving on this two-hour drive. And suddenly they pull over on the side of the road, like literally just side of the road. And I'm like, okay. Turns out that my son-in-law's helper, his, his staff member who's in charge of patients, had set up a meeting with this teenage guy on the side of the road with the cows and the goats, right here, side of the road. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah he couldn't make it, so they set him up to meet here. I'm like, that, that's awesome. Like, literally, cows right here, people walking by. You know, Zeke gets out, and he pulls out his little laptop, and he unbandages it. He's checking them out and all this kind of stuff, and he's there for like 15, 20 minutes, and he goes. Because he went to where the sick was. He met this teenager where the teenager could meet him, on the side of a road. And I just love that story because sometimes in our life, we can't wait for the lost to come here. We got to go meet them on the side of the road. Okay? Nicknamed Starbucks, Java Joe. Got an yes, right? You got to go out and you meet them where they are. Right where they are. And that's, that's what I love about Jesus, right? He says, I got, I got to go where the sick are. Sure, you can make it. Some of them will make it here on a Sunday, but no. Might be your workplace. How many of you, survey says, how many of you at your workplace know of at least one person who needs Jesus? Just one. Let's just say just one. How many of you at your school know at least one person that needs Jesus? 
Just one. Thank you. Thank you, God. Just one. There's only one, huh, Gabi? Like, everyone else is wrong, okay? That's where you're supposed to be. Right? There's a great phrase we learned from a big triple C. We used to go there years and years ago. She was 100 years old, and she said, she would tell us, bloom where you're planted. The great wisdom from a 100-year-old sister in the Lord. Every month she'd say, hey, just bloom where you're planted. You know what? Bloom where you're planted. Amen? Pickleball. Bloom where you're planted on the courts. Build relationships with them. Right? Here, I, I'm, I'm going to give you permission, okay? With, take this the right way. You have my permission to be normal. You don't have to quote a verse. You don't have to sing a hymn. You don't have to speak in King James. You don't have to finagle the conversation to the four spiritual laws. Just have lunch and enjoy their company. Amen? That's the thing. I don't know where it came from, but somehow we got this like agenda. How many of you dislike when you feel like you're talking to someone who has an agenda? Like, just get to it. Small talk, small talk. Just come on, try to close the deal, right? Right? You remember that? I remember when I wasn't saved and people would come up and they tried to share the gospel. That's fine. But I was like, do you really want to know me? Or are you just trying to work this to where you get the closer? Right? And I just kind of got turned off because I felt it was very disingenuous. They didn't really care about me. They just had an agenda and a program that they were trying to walk me through. I give you permission just to love people where they are. Starting point. They're human beings. They're, they're, they're really not that different from you. The fundamental difference is God has touched our lives and we understand Jesus. And the, Okay, I get that. But fundamentally, we're very similar. They have the same heart aches, the same joys as you. But sometimes I think in the church, we, we interpreted like, I, I got to be salt and light. I have to go and be an ambassador for Christ. And you know what we turn into? Weirdos. Just like... And you wonder why they don't want to play pickleball with you anymore. It's like every point. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I won pickleball. Can you just stop? You don't have to amen every pickleball point to make a point. Okay, everyone, inhale. Exhale. Okay, just be normal. Jesus... And his disciples had a party with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. I don't know how it went, but I'm fi- they had to figure it out, right? And at a certain point, you just got to meet people where they are. Just meet people where they are, because you were there once too, weren't you? You were there once. And you didn't want someone to try to fix you, and you want someone to try to lecture at you. All you wanted someone to do was be a friend. And just listen. Uh, Starting points, okay? So just do that. Gene Brooks says this. Many Christians have been criticized for the very thing Jesus was attacked for. 
associating with the wrong kind of people. The problem is that while we are to separate from evil, we are also to call sinners to repentance. Jesus' way of doing this was not to shout at sinners from a distance, but spend time with them. He wasn't doing this. He was doing this. Big difference. Because you know what? When I read the Gospels and I see Jesus in these situations, here's the thing. Jesus was not scared. Jesus was very secure in who Jesus was. He was very secure in who he was. So he's going to these places and he was just being him. And I remember years ago, I read this book called Jesus, Man of Joy. And the author's point, because he looked at Jesus through the Gospels and how often he interacted with the unchurched. And, and this struck me 30 years ago. He says, there's something in Jesus that the unchurched must have liked. Because they liked hanging out with him. Question, do the unchurched like hanging out with you? Do they just enjoy your company? Come on. Just be a person that the unchurched just enjoys being around. Because out of that, you share life. And one day, they might just ask you, hey, man, what's up with that? Right? There was a, when I started youth ministry and high school ministry in San Diego, we worked with a bunch of unchurched kids. We had the unchurched ministry. And we had a, a diverse volunteer team. And there was one guy on there named Tom. Tom was in like my age, about mid-20s then. And Tom would, you know, he'd be like, Travis, if you know Travis Wormington, he's like a Tom clone. Super nice guy. Like, just like nice. How many know Travis is like super nice? Like super nice. Yeah, right. Okay. Like, you're just friendly. You just wouldn't hurt a fly, right? Travis. So this is Tom. And Tom met two brothers who were in high school, and they were unchurched. Came from a rough background. Just made a friendship with them. He'd take them out to eat lunch. Da, da, da. Hey, how was doing? Good, good. And we'd talk. And then one day, Tom told me this. I go, hey, man, how was your weekend? What'd you do? He goes, I went to a high school house party. I said, you did what? Yeah, some of the guys I, I hang out with that, you know, come to youth group every once in a while, they were having a party at a house, a high school party. And they asked if I wanted to come. Emily, that's like Travis going to a Nordoff house party. You're like, and I'm like, you went? He goes, yeah, I went. I said, what'd you do? He goes, I just went around and met students, introduced myself and just said, hi. That's it? Yeah. That's it. These two guys, they were fine with me being there. I just met some of their friends and left. Man, Tom, Tom understood. Tom understood where the sick were. Right now, the challenging part with that is I'm like, oh, I don't know. That's uh, a little sketchy, isn't it? And we have to be careful. And yeah. I'm not. We're gonna get there because what Jesus was was challenging the Pharisees with was an issue of their heart. This is a heart issue. Okay, when the when when the Pharisees said, "What's up with that man? Why is he hanging out with that group?" They're, they're the group at Nordoff that everyone knows parties after the football game. What is he doing at that house party? He was checking their hearts. And in fact, in Matthew 9, he says this. When he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he says, go and learn what this means. I, 
desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came to call the righteous, not call the righteous, but sinners. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's a hard issue. See, Proverbs 4 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The heart, the control center. You want to know where someone is with their language? It's a reflection of what's in their heart. Okay? He's quoting Hosea 6.6. He says, for I desire steadfast love or mercy in some versions and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. See, what was happening is people in the Old Testament, they're getting really good at how to do church. How to do sacrifices. How to do the offerings. And he's like, you know what? Rather than you just going through ritual and tradition and all your religiosity, what I really want is you to have a right heart. Right? That's what, the, that's what he's calling out. First Samuel 15, Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. He's like, hey, you know what, church, you can come to Sunday church, you can go to Bible study, you can even go to Mexico and build a house. But if it's all just ritual and tradition and sacrifice and your heart's not right, I don't want that. I don't want external show stuff. I want your heart to be right because if your heart is right, you'll have right actions. As a, right? That's what he's calling out. And he says this word mercy, right? In the New Testament, mercy is this. It means kindness or goodwill toward the miserable and the afflicted. And here it is, joined with a desire to help them. So when he says, I desire mercy, he doesn't just want you to pity people. And he doesn't want you to just have sympathy. When he says, I desire mercy, he says, you know what? I want you to identify with them. I want you to feel their misery. I want you to feel their affliction. And then I want you to do something about it. I want you to be spurred to action. That's biblical mercy. Okay, Larry Richard says this. Originally, Elias, that's mercy, expressed only the emotion that was aroused by contact with a person who was suffering. By New Testament times, however, the concept incorporated compassionate response. A person who felt for and with a sufferer would be moved to help. This concept of mercy as a concern for the afflicted that prompts giving help is prominent in both the Gospels and the Epistles. So this is where, you know, as I was studying this, I'm just wondering at the church if we kind of slid into a zone of just feeling bad and sympathy and pity, but we're not moved to actually do something. Because doing something might require something, right? Mark 6.34, talking about Jesus, says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So Jesus gets off a boat, there's a whole bunch of people around, and these verses say, when Jesus saw these whole bunch of people, he had compassion, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The word compassion is very similar to mercy. It means it's a reference to the bowels, the intestines. And when you say biblically you had compassion, it means you were moved in your gut. You were so moved in your gut or aching of the heart that you had to do something. That's biblical compassion. That's what compassion means, right? You're moved to do something. It gets you in your gut. 
right? One definition says this, compassion or mercy is an attitude toward a need that is compelled to take action to meet that need. A compassionate and merciful heart finds it impossible to remain neutral when it sees a need of any kind. Jesus was not blind to the faults of the sinners with whom he dined, but his mercy caused him to withhold judgment. See? He was so moved, and he had such compassion on Matthew, Levi's friends. He's like, yeah, I'm there. What time's dinner? Let's go. He knew what, what they were up to because he had just called Levi himself. But he was so moved with compassion for them that he didn't overthink it. He didn't overthink it, right? And it's kind of a call out. What do you say when he says, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners? It was kind of a call out, kind of a dig at the Pharisees, right? He's like, you guys think you're all that. You think you're all religious. <laughs> I didn't really call people like you the self-righteous. I came for the sinners and the lost, right? John MacArthur says this, Without compassion, all the rituals, ceremonies, and sacrifices of the Pharisees were unacceptable to God. Without compassion, they proved themselves to be more ungodly even than the despised tax gatherers and sinners who made no pretense of godliness. God had divinely instituted the sacrificial system, and when the prescribed offerings were made to him in a spirit of humility, penitence, and reverence, they were pleasing to him. But when offered insincerely and in a spirit of self-righteousness and self-satisfaction, they became instead an abomination. Man, that hit me. Because I've been in ministry for 30 years, and I've served in mega churches, big thousands, multiple thousands, and then all the way down to the smaller churches. And I'll tell you, when it all comes down to it, it comes back to the heart. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And here's the thing. I'm not even saying this is true of us. It's really easy in the church to do church without compassion. See, we could, we could practice up here, and we could do the songs perfect. And the slides can be perfect, and the temperature can be perfect, and the lights can be perfect, and the donuts can be perfect, and the coffee can be perfect. Everything can be perfect, and we don't need compassion. Because now we're so focused on sacrifice and serving. We don't have right hearts around here anymore. We just have right church. We just do church right. Right? Remember in Revelation, Church of Ephesus? Hey, church, you're doing church really good. But I have this against you. You left your first love. See, this message is a message for us in the church today. Are you motivated to do whatever you're doing, sacrificially or service-oriented, for the Lord, out of a heart of compassion and love for the Lord and the lost, or has it slid into just ritual, routine, tradition? Just doing it right. And then you leave here and you went to church because that was the right thing to do. Did you come to church? Are you watching this at home because of your heart and passion for Jesus? Are you coming to church? I said this before. Your, your church experience here on a Sunday will radically change if you pray something on a Sunday morning before you get here. Here, do, if you want, okay, this is like bonus. It's not even in my notes, just bonus. <laughs> if you want your Sunday morning to change, 
Before you leave your house, you say, Lord, let me be a blessing to somebody at church today. Use me today to be a blessing. I will listen. I will pray with someone. I'll have conversation with someone. I'll give someone the last chocolate donut. I'll give up whatever. If you want to engage church differently, come with a heart of compassion for your brothers and sisters and all the visitors here. Amen? Come here with a heart of compassion, and you'll leave here blessed. You might even leave here having made a new friend. And that friendship bears fruit for the rest of your life. And all it took was you saying, Lord, use me today. Use me, right? I have a phrase for years and years. I said, come to church to be a giver, not a getter. Right? I hope I get a sermon. I hope I get good worship. I hope I get a donut. I hope I get coffee. I hope the kids get good kingdom kids. Stop coming to church to be a getter. Come to church to be a giver. I want to give love. I want to give compassion. I want to give an ear. I want to give. Radically change every Sunday. It will radically change. Okay? Jesus wants right hearts, not right religion. He wants right hearts. Now, in our culture, I was thinking, like, why is it so hard? What happened to this compassion? It seems pretty basic, right? So I got on that pastoral thing, right? You get hung up on these, what do you call those, those C words or whatever, right? So compassion versus culture. Maybe this will help you understand if you're struggling with compassion. We live in a culture right now that is critical, condemning, condescending. We live in a culture that's cynical. We live in a culture that's confrontational. We live in a culture that's callous. We live in a culture full of complaining. And we live in a culture that number one priority is comfort and convenience. Anyone resonate with anything on that list? If that's you, that could be affecting your compassion. There's not a lot of compassion on social media, is there? Mm -mm -mm. Don't, go to, don't go to social media. Oh, I wonder, I need some compassion. I'm going to go to social media. You just woke up the keyboard warriors around the country. That's the culture, right? So you live in that culture. What happens to your heart? You get hardened. You get defensive. You get angry. You want to be right. And into that, what do you just, no, I want you to be compassionate. What? To that culture? They, they need me. But did, did you see what they said? They commented? They didn't like my photo? How can I, you know, I mean, it's so, we're, we're so, we have become so caught up in all this stuff that we've lost our compassion. We just got to come back to being compassionate people. Amen? And here's the thing. When you choose to be compassionate, you're free. Because my compassion for you is not dependent on your reaction to me. I have a heart for you. I want to bless you. I want to serve you. And it's not dependent on whether you like me back whether you do anything back, right? You know self-sacrificial love, the highest form of love, agape love, self-sacrificial love for God so loved. Agape love is self-sacrificial love for the benefit of the other person expecting nothing in return. That's the heart of compassion. Self-sacrificial love. I will give them my time, my energy, and my resources to you self-sacrificially, and I expect nothing back. Imagine if that was what your marriage was built on or your friendships or your relationships with your kids. Wow. Revolutionary, right? 
Compassion. If, say, if someone said, what would you want the well to be known as? What kind of church? A compassionate church. That's why we go to Mexico, right? Out of compassion, right? That's why we go to Continuing Care Center once a month. That's why we go to Team Challenge. It's compassion. We don't just feel for them. We do something. We do something. So that's the culture. But then I thought of one, and just hang with me here because this might, you know, some of you are going to go, Another reason we might be struggling with compassion, the final C is Christianized. Doesn't mean you're not saved. What I mean by that is that over time, if you're not careful, you get Christianized, which means you just separate yourself from all the bad and evil people and influences and you only hang out with other Christians and you only listen and, you da, 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 and you're so Christianized that if you're not careful, you're almost like a Pharisee in your separateness. And that's a tough one. I get it. Like a, you, we celebrated, I was a dad of five kids and we intentionally sent them to Nordoff. That was, that was a decision we made. And I'm not saying that's right for everyone, but that's a decision we made. And we had to navigate that, and we had to help them navigate their walk with Jesus in a secular high school. Right? And when I came across this, this phrase, Christianize, and really the point of it is, again, you become isolationist. That's what we mean by Christianize, is isolationist and almost condescending and critical and self-righteous. That's what it means to be Christianized. How many of you saw Jesus' revolution? Well, you saw Christianized, right? When the hippies started coming, and that pushback from the organized traditional church, that's the picture, right? That's the picture. And again, I'm not saying it's easy to navigate, Because compassion, let me give you some helps, pastoral helps. Compassion is not condoning sin. Compassion is not compromising your convictions, okay? Compassion is not counting the cost and like having no boundaries and just doing dumb things and getting yourself over your head because you're not spiritually mature enough. Well, you said to have compassion and I just went to the bar and just started drinking out of compassion. No, no. If that's your interpretation of this, no. Okay? You got to use your noggin. You got to pray. Seek counsel. Have healthy spiritual boundaries. But what I've seen in the church is we've become so Christianized, almost so scared of the world, that we won't even meet them halfway anymore. And I just wonder are we scared? And if you're scared, be honest and just say it. What are you scared of? If you're a parent and you're scared, just be honest. Find other parents and share your fears and anxieties and concerns and walk through it together and pray. You got to confront it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But because if you're not careful, you're going to live over here and you're going to get a hardened heart. And you're not going to have a heart of compassion. And all the while, we're going to be doing all these rituals and all these sacrifices and all these right things. And Jesus is going to be like, where's your heart of compassion? 
What about all of them who don't know me? Well, we can't hang out with them anymore. You know, bad company corrupts good morals, and we don't want to be with them. And, and we start just rationalizing and giving all these excuses for not even wanting to venture there and meet them just at the human level. Okay? You have to be very wise. You need counsel. You need discernment. But by all means, please do not lose your heart of compassion out of fear and self-righteousness. Right? Jesus and his disciples had a meal with tax collectors and sinners, a rock-your-world moment for the religious community. That was a rock-your-world moment. And it was okay. It was just okay, right? We don't know what came out of it and all that kind of stuff. We know Matthew, Levi became Matthew and eventually wrote a gospel for crying out loud. Wouldn't that be crazy? You reach out to somebody, like amazing, right? Think about that. Jesus calls Levi, who turns into Matthew, and all these people are like, I can't believe Matthew. He called Matthew? He called Levi? What's up with that? Hey, by the way, he wrote a gospel. My bad. (laughs) You never know. When God uses you in somebody's life, what God's going to do in and through them because of you. Amen? We're just here to plant seeds. We're just here to water. We're just here to do our part and leave the results to God. But he needs us to be willing to go with hearts of compassion. Again, it is not condoning. It is not compromising. It is none of that. It's just going with the compassion of Jesus and the message of the good news. Right? Colossians 3 says this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What's the next word? Compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We are to put on compassionate hearts. It's a command, and... As a new creation in Christ, you have new clothes. And one of those clothes that you're supposed to put on all the time is called a compassionate heart. New creations wear new garments. We're supposed to be putting on. It's a choice. Compassion. What makes that hard? The culture we live in, and quite honestly, compassion is inconvenient. Right? Compassion can upset my schedule, my finances, my timeline, my, 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 my. Because it's weird how people's lives don't go according to my schedule. Like the calls for needs and calls for counseling, they just don't like, they just come whenever. Isn't that weird? Just whenever. But a heart of compassion says, okay. Okay. We give up our time, our energy, our resources out of compassion. Because we just simply love with the love of Jesus, right? And I love this, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Anybody here been forgiven for anything? Anybody here ever experienced God's compassion? You see, he's just asking us to do what he already did for us. 
And the challenging part of a message like this, especially in a comfortable building like this and comfortable Ojai, is that many of us, when we think of tax collectors and sinners, we kind of compartmentalize them into really bad people who do really bad things, who really needed God's compassion, who really needed God's grace. And somehow, we're not that bad. Somehow, we didn't need as much compassion. The truth is, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The truth is, okay, and I know the, your sin, my sin, our sin, still required that. That's, that's the degree of compassion that your sin required from God, personally. Just personalize that. How much compassion did your sin require? That much. That's mind-numbing. That's mind-boggling. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Mind-blowing. And if we're going to have a heart of compassion, guys, I'm going to be honest with you, we all have to come and start at the cross again. Because over time, what can happen is God comes into our life, he transforms us, we get to be better people, we put off the old, we put on the new, and without even realizing it, we're becoming self-righteous and prideful. And suddenly we're walking around like this, and we're celebrating what God did in my life, and we look at someone else and like, what's wrong with you? Here's the steps you need to take. Just do this. And watch God. And we have become. We've just lost all compassion. Because we forget where we were from. We forget where we're from, where we came from. That's why I can go meet someone who doesn't know the Lord. And when we first meet and we have coffee and a meal, it's just two people. Because they were just where I was before I knew Jesus. They're no different. They're no different than me. But the hard part is, especially as being a pastor, is we become, you know, someone said, early in, early in ministry, someone warned me, said, don't believe the headlines. They were warning me. Don't believe all the good stuff that people are going to start to say because it'll go to your head. Apostle Paul, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Right? I want to show a video. Many of you have seen it, and um, many of you haven't. But every one of us is in this video. Every one of us. Whether you're here, whether you're at home, whether you know Jesus, and whether you don't. Because it's a video about God's grace and compassion. God's transformation. And maybe some of the issues you're going to see here aren't your issues or haven't been. But just put your issues there and celebrate God's compassion and grace. And if you don't know Jesus and you watch this video, the invitation to you this morning, come follow him because he can do for you what he did for Levi, what he did for me. He just wants you to follow him. Okay? Let's watch the video.
you know the Lord, you got to celebrate God's compassion every day. He's making you new. You're in process. We're all in process so we can give each other grace and patience and self-sacrificial love. His compassion hasn't ended. He's still transforming you. And if you're here or you're online and you're listening and you're wondering, does that compassion extend to me? 100%. Come follow Jesus. Receive his gift of salvation, his compassion, his love. Put your faith in him as Savior and Lord and begin the journey of transformation. Amen? Because we all have. And then when we leave here, if you see yourself, one of the reasons, like, why do you keep showing that? Because I see me in there all the time. Because this, this is crazy. Me sitting behind here and doing this is nuts if you knew where I come from. So every day I celebrate God's compassion. And then it gives me compassion for the people I meet out there. Because we're just the same. In, in, in many ways. The starting point is the same. And I can find out where to meet them. And we can just start building a friendship and a relationship without having some agenda. In fact, I, I actually prefer to be in places where they don't know what I do for a living. Because it gets really weird when they find out I'm a pastor. But if I'm just Richie, then we're just, we're just good to go. Right? We have incredible opportunity to be ambassadors of compassion. Let's do that in the power of the Holy Spirit with discernment. Okay? With discernment with careful boundaries, all that kind of stuff. But let's not be scared of the world. Let's go be compassionate ambassadors and share the good news. Amen? Uh, before we dismiss the kids, we do have a special uh, opportunity as a church family, for me as a dad and a pastor. Uh, we arrived in Ojai in the summer of 99 uh, to do youth ministry over at the community church. And we served there for several years, and then we planted this church 13 years ago, and we've been in this facility since 2017. And uh, many of you know, I have five kids, and you know, if, if you know anything about the church and navigating parenting kids, especially when you're a pastor, especially a lead pastor, can be a bit of a, uh, a daunting task that requires God's grace and wisdom. And so many of you have known uh, my kids. They've come through the ranks here and served in various capacities. And uh, today we get to celebrate, uh, as a church family, the Lord's seasons. You talked about seasons. And uh, as this is Ziba's, our granddaughter's first day at church, today we're going to send off our youngest daughter. It's her last Sunday. And uh, Eileen, you've seen her up here. Uh, she is our youngest daughter, and uh, this week we move her into Westmont. And she'll be living there. And uh, if you don't know what she's done around here, uh, primarily she's done a phenomenal job in the bridge. Uh, she's our communications director, so the slides, the bulletins, following me as I jump around with verses every Sunday, uh, that takes a lot. And uh, we have a routine. Uh, man, it's going to be strange for me because for years and years, we leave our house at 6.30 a.m. on the dot, and she comes with me. And by 7 o'clock, I give her all the slides and everything. And so it's by 7 a.m., she's already here working and ready to serve and bless all of you with what happens on the screens. And uh, she's instrumental with Jordan and the bridge with all the tech and how it goes out. If you're watching this at home and the slides, and they call it the lower thirds and how it's all positioned and everything, Eileen's done a phenomenal job with our tech on the live stream. And so we're going to miss her. I'm going to miss her. And we're working through this uh, this week. We go empty nest. So we're working through that a little bit. <laughs> 
but as a church family, we wanted to celebrate her. And uh, I just encourage you, you know, um, as parents, especially with raising kids in the church, you know, we always have sought the Lord first and foremost for their relationship with the Lord. And then to give them space to find where they would serve as members of the church. And they've served in various capacities. Vinny led worship here for a while. And uh, the bridge and the tech crew was Eileen's niche. And um, she's been blessed by many of you. Uh, she was born here. All the others came with us from San Diego. So she's, she's local. Um, but we want to celebrate Eileen. And so Ty, why don't you come on up? And the ladies are going to come up. We're going to pray for her and send her off. Oh, good morning. I hope Eileen's on her way up. Um, I was going to mention a lot of things about Eileen, but her dad did all of it. So what she does. But one thing he did forget to what she does, she's given so much moral support and guiding and guidance to the youth because she's one of our youth leaders and she played such an important role in young ladies' lives. So it's, it's been a blessing with, with Eileen. Um, Okay, I'll do this. I don't want to look at her um, <laughs> um, because I'll start crying. But, I mean, she's like a daughter to me. It's, she calls me Uncle Tyler, and, and I love her dearly. It's going to be hard to see her go, but she's just going to be in Westmont, and I already told her she's on call. So, <laughs> so we got her a cake and some flowers and her card. And the colors of the cake, what are those colors of, Eileen? It's a quiz. Westmont. Westmont. So that, and that's where she's going, which is great. So we've been super blessed by you and just a great opportunity. And she's not like she's going off to Africa like her older sister. She's just going to be right down the road. But we do appreciate you. We've been blessed to have you part of this church family. And you're still part of this church family forever. So thank you very much. And Mark, you going to pray for us? Lord, we thank you for Eileen. And... uh, we, we tell you that we love this woman. Um, we know that you love her. We know that you are uh, really leading her very personally, very deliberately, very um, just intentionally uh, to Westmont and to study what she's going to be studying and in the years to come, the journey and the path that you want her to follow, Lord. Um, we love her heart for you. We love her service. We love her as a friend, as a sister, as a woman. Um, We put her in your hands. Um, We ask you to uh, just be very present with her in Westmont as she makes new friends and meets new people and studies new things and just really embarks on a new journey. Lord, would you lead? Would you bring light and joy and peace and, and depth and really challenge her, Lord, in her spirit, in her life? in every aspect, so uh, the, just to make her uh, more and more the woman that you want her to be uh, for your kingdom and for your work. So we put her in your hands, and we uh, thank you for your uh, love for her and your leading her in the future. Amen. And one, la- one last thing I want to send off. We've we got to get a good laugh because she's come a long, long way. And when we first met her, um, Isaac, can you want to put up that photo? <laughs> <laughs> so we're very proud of her. Actually, this I was a police officer in Santa Barbara for a million years, and she came and visited and got a tour. So I always held this picture over her head. But this is the woman she became from there. So. <laughs> All right. And now we've got a couple announcements. You may have guessed, too, that you know, we've got youth stuff. 
And we've got someone leaving us, so we've got some space for some of you. Um, you know, and we kind of joke that, you know, Ziva's first day, we're going to, although it's her first day next week, we're going to put her back there on the keyboard. So some of you are like, I don't know if I can like do technology and stuff, but you know, she can do it. Y'all can do it. Uh, but joking aside, uh, you know, I've mentioned it before, you know, whether it's for the bridge or youth, uh, when it comes to volunteering. And I know that's like a, almost a trigger word at church because it's like, oh, don't look. Uh, but, and, and I know also, and I'll, you know, I want to be honest, like I've done somewhat of a disservice to you guys because often when I come up here and share youth stuff, it's usually about the fun stuff we do. And it's about like the cool events we do, the crazy all-nighters that we do. And it's like, well, they just have a lot of fun. Uh, but I think about it similarly to what we do here on a Sunday. And we come here, we enjoy one another, and although our version of fun is a bit different, uh, it's very similar. And so on, you know, whether it's our Bible studies with high schoolers or just youth group uh, with 6th to 12th graders, it's very similar. We have a lot of fun. There's a lot of relationship building, but there's also a lot going on with just their relationship with Jesus. And so just like here, you know, there we are, you know, trying to be really adamant about sharing the word and sharing who Jesus is. And so that, I think, takes most importance, although you don't really see it through the, the fun videos and photos. And so I just want to encourage you, you know, to think back to when you were their age. And I know life's a bit different uh, now, and I would say sometimes it could be even more challenging. But, you know, the kids are all going through different things, lots of changes, and they need people like us who know a little bit more, who are a little farther ahead or a lot farther ahead. Uh, they need that wisdom. They need those relationships uh, as they're just navigating life. And so I would just encourage you, uh, maybe even challenge you, you know, and just to pray about ways that you could serve uh, the church body by serving and helping with youth. And it may not be, you know, just coming out on a, a, a Wednesday to serve and, uh, you know, it could be offering up your home and saying, hey, I have a pool. Kids love pool parties. You know, I would love to host them. Or if we're going out on a, a really fun trip, if you want to drive. Uh, but in, in any way... Uh, I would just encourage you to think about that, finding ways of just serving and loving the students, not just because Eileen's leaving, and those are big shoes to fill, uh, but because, you know, it's, it's a part of our just identity as, as a church, as a family, to really just help and serve one another. So I, I just put that out to you guys. If you are interested at all, I'd love to chat with you about it. Uh, so right now, it is now only guys as volunteers for the youth ministry. So, ladies, if you feel at all called or interested, uh, we could use some ladies, and I'm certain that the youth students would, might, would not mind that as well. So, again, I just encourage you with that. Uh, let me know if there's anything you have questions about. We'd love to you know, talk with you and see about you know, serving uh, in Crossroads Youth Ministry. And so with that, uh, we are going to be starting up our regular youth group September 6th, I believe. I think it's Wednesday, September 6th. Yeah. Uh, the time's going to be a little bit different. I'll get that back to you guys soon, but we're going to be starting up uh, youth ministry real soon. Thank you. I uh, really encourage Jordan to kind of share that side of youth ministry. Uh, youth ministry is what I did for bunches of years. And uh, I know many of you, you know, are... are, are up to date on current events and things that are going on in the schools and the challenges in the schools around the country. Sometimes in Ojai, we kind of 
think we live in a bubble, but I will share this with you from what I have learned and what I have heard um, about what is going on in the schools, particularly in Nordoff. It's here. The issues that the kids are facing around the country is in the Ojai Valley. And what Jordan does, they are frontline. Youth ministry today is a lot, really a lot different. We, when I, I started in nine, early, the mid-90s into the early 2000s, and youth ministry was challenging them with what the issues the students were facing. These guys right here, the youth pastors and the youth ministers and the volunteers, they're frontline tip of the spear right now. For this generation. And sure they like to have a lot of fun. And I appreciate that. But his heart for Jesus. And, and really what we talked about last Sunday. What do, what do the students need ultimately? Jesus. And where are they going to hear it? Except for in the church. And through the church. And so I really do just want to reinforce and reiterate. Uh, the significance of youth ministry. Again sometimes unfortunately in the church. We look at it as glorified daycare. Oh yeah you know Wednesday night. That's just like kingdom kids for older kids right? They just entertain them and play games and everyone laughs and then they go home not today not today it's some of the stories i've heard about nordoff even last school year would blow your mind would actually stun some of you that that's here that's what the kids are dealing with every day during yeah yeah it's not just other school districts around the country dealing with these issues it's right here and so at the very least i would ask you pray for them amen Pray for the youth ministry here and, and all the youth leaders in the valley. He's connected with the Baptist and Redemption. They have great relationships with the other youth workers, so they're connected. Uh, but if you really want to make a difference, even in the world of prayer, start praying for what's going on in the schools. Okay, And, and maybe through that, God will speak to your heart. And again, you don't have to have all this vast Bible knowledge. What we really ask the core is that you love Jesus, and you're willing to share that love of Jesus with Teenagers, amen? There's a simplicity to it. Because sometimes you'd be shocked how how much of a difference it makes if someone just listens. Not try to fix them, not try to lecture, not throw a verse, just listen. Right? And just build a relationship. So, So Jordan, I want to thank you and affirm you and your crew for all you do in youth ministry. But seriously, pray about it. Very least, pray for the teenagers in this valley. Because I guarantee you, it is here and, and there is a huge need in Ojai Valley for the kids to know Jesus, okay? Um, as we move into fall, I just want to kind of give you a heads up on what's coming. September 6th, we have a family day fall kickoff coming up. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a shorter service out on the patio on the lawn out there. We're going to bring out all the, you know, Lord willing, it's a nice hot day. We're going to bring out all the water stuff, the dunk tank, the slip and slides, And just an opportunity for us as a church family to kind of regroup and regather after summer and all the traveling. So I encourage you to come on out. We'll have extra food and everything. You can bring your own lunch, but we'll have kind of drinks and all that kind of stuff. But September 6th, it'll be a family fall kickoff. It's it's actually the 6th. It's actually the 6th. Um, And so, I'm sorry, the 10th. I'm sorry, it's the 10th. You're right. It's the 10th. Eileen, what's going on? No, just kidding. It's the 10th. I'll trust you. It's the 10th. Walk of Compassion is uh, coming up. If you don't know what the Walk of Compassion is, uh, it's an opportunity here locally. Life Choices Pregnancy Center. It's kind of their fundraiser. Uh, It's an opportunity, again, make a difference in your community. They have an incredible ministry to uh, young ladies, families in the valley that really going through it and need some tangible help, even prayer, even just 
relationships. So they do a walk of compassion once a year. That's coming up Saturday, September 30th. Uh, you're interested in that. Um, really encourage you to get involved. And then finally, uh, Mark, Mexico. So in a little bit more than two months, there will be a group of people going down to Ensenada, Mexico to build two houses. Uh, we had a wonderful trip in June down to Tijuana. Um, we've got a, a good number of people signed up already. I just want to kind of put out two needs or two kind of deadlines kind of coming up. One is signing up. Uh, the trip's only two months away, and I need to kind of finalize with numbers with YWAM and stuff. So if you're considering going, thinking about going, signing up in the next couple of weeks would be very helpful. So I just really want to kind of put a little bit of pressure on you to kind of, you know, if the Lord's prompting you, just take a step of faith and put your name on that list and let's go. Um, the second thing is, you know, like every time we have a, a pretty aggressive uh, financial goal to meet, it's about $29,000 to build those two houses with everything that we provide for the families, which we provide everything, every extra that's possible. We just go down and want to do everything we can for these families. Um, we've got a decent start on the financial need, but again, uh, the Lord has always provided. I, I don't even worry about this, but the need needs to be put out to the body. So um, in the next couple of months, our goal is to raise $29,000 to go build those two houses. Um, and I just want to uh, ask everybody really to be praying. Uh, you know, Hillary is going to kind of give us a little bit of rain starting a bit, little bit later today, but it went right over Ensenada and right over Tijuana uh, just over the past 12 hours or so. Um, I haven't had an opportunity to contact anyone from YWAM down there. I will do that and be sharing information with people who've been down there before, but really praying for YWAM for our, our partners down in both of those places, but particularly the families. Uh, there are so many poor families. Many of you have been down and seen where these families live prior to getting a home that we've built. And the people who have the homes that we've built, frankly, Lord willing, will be safe and dry and that kind of stuff in the midst of a, you know, a tropical storm or hurricane going over them. But there are thousands of families down there that are living in mud right now. And, uh, you know, just being in prayer for the people who are being impacted is something that we can all do just to beseech the Lord for his mercy in Mexico. So.